heroes are an inspiring group of people. Every one of them, from the larger-than-life comic book heroes you see on the big silver screen to the everyday heroes that let us live the privileged lives we do. Every hero has a story to tell. The doctor saving lives at your local hospital. The war veteran down the street who risked his lives for our freedom. The police officers and firefighters who risk their safety to ensure ours. Every hero is special and every story worth telling. But there is one class of heroes that I think is often ignored. The entrepreneur. The creator. The producer. The ones who look at the problems in this world and think to themselves, you know what? I can fix that. I can help people. And I can make a difference. Then they go out and do exactly that by creating a new product or introducing a new service. Some go on to change the world. Others make a world of difference to their customers. Welcome to The Hero Show. Join us as we pull back the masks of the world's finest heropreneurs and learn the secrets to their powers, their success, and their influence. So you can use those secrets to attract more sales, make more money, and experience more freedom in your business. I'm your host, Richard Matthews, and we are on in three, two, one. Hello and welcome back to The Hero Show. My name is Richard Matthews, and I'm live on the line with Joel Hawbaker. Joel, are you there? I'm here. Awesome. Glad to have you here. Joel, where are you coming in from today? Thank you. I'm excited to be chatting with you today, and I am coming in from uh, North Central Alabama. Nice. And for those of you who are keeping up on our travels, we are currently on the southwest portion of the Oregon coast, staying in a little place called Whaler's Rest. It's really beautiful here. Um, so I, I mean, you can't see on the video, but the, uh, <laughs> it is really nice outside. Um, so let me do a quick introduction for Joel uh, so you guys know who he is. So Joel is a real life leader and in a blended family world you work hard you know we work hard to raise kids properly and positively and you basically love the privilege of sharing what you've learned with others so what you do is you help blended families work together more constructively in order to positively address issues such as frustration hurt and resentment that comes um, from the from the past uh, parenting disagreements scheduling problems for kids, sibling rivalries, and other issues related to blended family life. So what I want to do, what I want to start off with is tell me what your business is like now. What is it that you do for blended families? How do you do it? Are you a speaker, author, coach? What is it? How, how do you work with, uh, with families? And describe a little bit what you mean by blended family and the help that you're providing. Certainly. Thank you. Uh, so the, uh, the big part of my business right now is uh, a lot of speaking um, and then also uh, working to, I'm actually working on a book about blended family life right now, hoping to have that done within the next year. And um, in addition to that, I also do some blended family coaching. Uh, so blended families um, uh, have a couple different definitions. The, the easiest way to think of it is as a step family or any other family that includes um, non-biological children. So whether it's adopting or fostering or things like that, um, because they all come with um, they all come with unique issues, uh, depending on the ages of the children. They, if it's a divorce and remarriage, how old the kids were when the divorce happened, how old the kids are when a remarriage happens, the gender of the kids, are, are both spouses bringing in kids to this new marriage? Like those are all factors that affect what a blended family looks like, and those also factor into uh, how blended families relate to each other. Uh, and so uh, my, my job is to help blended families figure out um, how to address their unique situations to make them better. Um, so as you mentioned in the introduction, my, part of my job is to help families move from, uh, from chaos to cooperation uh, or to make their communication go from terrible to bearable. That's one of the, the things that I go uh, really try to help people do is uh, because communication is a, a huge part of making any family work, but especially like in my situation, I'm divorced and remarried. 
which we'll get into, I'm sure. And I live about a mile and a half from my ex-wife and her second husband. And we've got two kids together. And one of the biggest things we have to make sure we do is communicate well, because as complicated as life is with two kids, it's more complicated when you have two households and four parents trying to manage everybody's schedules. Um, so just trying to help families figure out some of those things and, and how to make uh, how to make things work as smoothly as they can so that long term the kids are able to come out of it uh, as positively as they can. I mean, we've all seen statistics about the increased likelihood of children having, whether it's social anxiety or depression issues or problems in school or whatever, when they come from what used to be called broken homes. I don't know if that term's PC anymore, but you know, whenever there's a divorce type situation or single family, uh, single parent homes, you know, those kids struggle more. So my goal is to help mitigate those factors so that kids can be as successful in the long run as they can be. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. So um, just so you know, I've actually, I have, I come from a blended family myself. My, uh, okay. my parents divorced when I was, uh, was 13. They both remarried. I have six stepbrothers, I think. Wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so a lot of, a lot of them. Um, yep. Or no, not six, five. I think I have five. I can't count. There's a lot of them. Um, but anyways, we were, uh, um, we were all in our, you know, mid to late teens when all of that happened. So I don't okay. even, uh, I've got a more adult relationships with all of my siblings, if that makes sense. Cause we met, mm -hmm. we met older. Right. Um, and so that's, uh, that's the way that goes down. But my, my wife and I are actually talking about adopting a kid out of foster care. So we might end up awesome. with a family ourselves. Absolutely. That's great. Um, yeah, I was actually yeah. just talking with someone a few minutes ago. There's a so here in Alabama, there's a group called Children's Aid Society for Alabama that I'll be um, I'll be doing a webinar for them in the spring and then speaking at their conference. And uh, they work a lot with adoptive and foster families. Uh, again, because you know adoptive and foster families they face different issues than uh, sort of step families, but some of them overlap pretty good. Especially if you already have biological kids, if you then adopt someone. Um, you know, mm -hmm. does, and, and so things like the gender of the kid that you adopt compared to what you already have, the age range, those kind of things, they can all, they can all factor in. Um, my, my in-laws, my wife's older brother and his wife actually have two biological uh, children and they've adopted a special needs child from China and in the process of adopting a second special needs child from China. Um, so that's a, again, that's a, a different type of blended family. And so some of the issues they have are similar to what we have in our step family, but not exactly the same. Uh, and so it's, it's interesting to look at the dynamics and, and uh, really try to learn from, uh, from those situations, what works in each family versus what needs to be adjusted, right? Because of the, yeah. the uniqueness of each situation. So it's a lot of fun. It's very challenging, but it's also very rewarding to, uh, to do this kind of work. Yeah, and it's probably an interesting space to be in because you, you probably have principles that you back, you back out to yeah. Um, but every family is going to be a unique thing in the way that they apply those principles and how they, how they use them and how you teach them is going to be different for everyone. So yeah, exactly uh, right. And, yeah. An endless number of ways that you can apply the same information. <laughs> yes, that's exactly right. There are, there are a couple key principles that I focus on and then some specifics that go with each one, but how you apply those, that's something I can help you figure out, but it's not ever going to be applied exactly the same way in every family because it can't be. And even if it could be, it'll change in two years because your kids will be different in two years. <laughs> right. Cause just, I, think, I've yeah, got, uh, yeah, I got four right? kids and they are all completely different. I don't understand yeah. it. They're, yeah. And we'll give it two years and they'll all be different in a different way. 
right? Yeah, yeah. And it's funny, too, because it's like you can see all the similarities between the kids. Mm -hmm. Like you can tell they're all ours. And That's it's right. pretty easy. Like you go out in the public and be like, yeah, I can't deny these children, but they are just like that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yep. They're vastly different. Yeah, that's exactly right. I obviously, uh, there's a group. So I, I'm a high school teacher in my day job, and there's a family there that has um, five kids in the school where I teach, four sons, and then the youngest one is a daughter. And I've taught all four sons. I don't have the daughter in my spring semester. She played on my soccer team this fall. And it's really funny because I told her the other day, like, all four of your brothers are wonderful. They're all very distinctly your family, but they're all different from each other. Like everybody, you see them and you know, and you talk with them, you know, oh yeah, they're, they're in that family, but they're just, they're also very, very different, just like what you described. And it's, it's fascinating how that works out. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. And it's, I think it's one of the, uh, for me at least, it's one of the joys of parenthood, um, mm -hmm. you know, just get to, to, to see and experience their very, very different personalities and how they work out. But yeah, yeah different minor. skill sets, different talents, different, uh, different uh, hobbies, you know, and, and getting to see all of those different things is a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, and and it just changes from you know the different time of life they're in. I don't have any teenagers mm -hmm. yet. I've got a I've got a half a year old, a three year old, a six year old, and a ten year old. Oh wow! So okay, all, all still young family at this point. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. See, mine are um, fifteen and a half, and just about to be thirteen. Um, so a lot of fun. Got a house full of puberty. That's the uh, that's <laughs> the fun part. In I do, and I work with high school kids all day. So apparently, like I just never matured beyond about sixteen. So that's where I like to spend a lot of my time. So so bless you for working with all of the teenagers. <laughs> <laughs> I look, and this sounds really terrible, but I would take high schoolers over elementary school kids all day, every day. Like I really feel like yeah. the real superheroes are elementary school teachers because I just I find that I don't have the patience with young children that young children deserve. <laughs> yeah, my my wife's the other way around. She does she does all the homeschooling with the kids. And awesome. She's fantastic with them as they're right. young. Um, and I don't. I, I'm with you. I think the high school kids they're they're self motivated. They right. you know you can you, they can talk on your level that kind of right. stuff. And like yeah. watching my wife do the things she does with the younger kids, and I'm like, oh man, I would like to scoop my eyeballs out with this yes. before I did that. Yes. Yeah, my my wife uh, was homeschooled, and her mom did her homeschooling all the way through, like you know, first grade all the way through high school. And yeah, I thought the same thing. I thought that would absolutely like, there's not enough money in the world to get me to teach elementary school kids. I, I just, <laughs> I just could not do it. High school kids, they have their own issues um, and they have their own challenges, but I'll take those challenges all day over dealing with like, is that juice or is that snot? Yeah. Like, whatever that yeah, is on your face right there, that's gross. And I don't want to help you clean that off. I don't want to do or, that. Or, you know, they had uh, they had lunch and you gave them one chocolate bar and they or one you know one thing and they they spread it all over the entire house. Yes. Um, yes. It's like I don't know they've got superpowers right. We're just talking about superheroes. Yes. That's that's our our children's superpowers to spread whatever they have over a significantly larger portion of the land than you think it should be possible. Yes, very good. <laughs> that's exactly what it is. Way more than you think possible. That's exactly right. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, I'm I'm really excited. My son's getting into that uh, that. 10 year old age and he's, mm -hmm. you know, he's pretty he's pretty advanced for his age which is fun and we're starting to get into talking about things like starting businesses and putting you know products together and like okay. that's, that's my he's at my like my game now nice <laughs> Stuff yeah that's, uh, that's interesting to talk about and you know i don't have to do you know a a and a b c d e f g that kind of thing right <laughs> yeah i completely agree i i definitely um i've definitely enjoyed watching our kids grow up all the different ages obviously they have their own kind of enjoyments for the parents 
uh, and their own challenges, but I definitely have found it um, in a lot of ways easier to relate to my kids as they've gotten older. Uh, and we can talk about things that are not just little kids stuff because both of mine are daughters. And so we spent a significant chunk of their childhoods talking about uh, things that sparkle and Disney princesses. And, uh, yeah. you know, we, we also talked some sports. I, I taught them, uh, you know, I taught them about the importance of Duke basketball. And I taught them about the importance of uh, just the <laughs> game of soccer in general, like it is the greatest game in the world. And so I taught them the important stuff. But uh, it's, you know, it's more fun when you can talk about it. Um, like you mentioned, more on your level instead of two. Yeah, two I have uh, my three youngest ones are all daughters. So okay. my my current and my future is filled with princesses yep. and you know. sparkly things. And yep. my uh, yep. my three year old everything. for Halloween, my three year old for Halloween was a rainbow unicorn kitty <laughs> superhero. <laughs> um, <laughs> That is great. Yeah, I can't even, I could not even fathom the amount of princess dresses and accessories that we once owned. It's just an absurd <laughs> amount. So yeah, that's, that's awesome. you have a lot of years of that left. And I, I do hope you enjoy it because there are parts of it that really are a lot of fun. They're oh really yeah, they're, fun. they're a blast. They're, they're, they're crazy. And they're so full of like life and vitality and energy. And like, I can't even I can't even like, I don't understand them at all. Like my son, <laughs> I like I totally get my son. And like right. my, he's like outside, like beating on a tree. And my wife's like, what's he doing? And I'm like, he's beating on a tree, duh. That's she's right. Like, I don't get it. And I'm like, my daughters are over here like crying over something. And I'm like, I like, why are they crying? over? <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's exactly. And I, the thing is like, so I've been coaching girls sports for years. I coach girls, high school soccer, girls, travel soccer. I feel um, uh, the much that what you described about my daughters, where I thought because I'd coached girls sports for years that I would have a head start on understanding my kids when they became teenagers. And it turns out I just don't. Um, I don't fathom women any better now than I did when I was a teenager. I don't understand girls anymore, even though I have two of them and I've coached them for years. They just, they just don't make any sense to me. Um, so, yep, you know, yep. and, and I was, I was under the impression that getting married and having three daughters would improve that situation. It does not. So if you are uh, getting into that game, don't get your hopes up. That's exactly uh, right. You, you can, you can learn to um, hopefully uh, be less boneheaded or maybe accidentally offend them less often, but in terms of actually understanding them. Yeah, no. Well, and my, if you do, like you're sitting on a gold mine. My go-to is just whenever they're crying, just pick them up, put them on my lap, and just pat them on the back and let them cry. Yeah, that's you know? it. <laughs> yeah, and that's a, that's a great place to start. That's exactly right. Show, you know, show them some love, show them some empathy. That's a great place to begin. Absolutely. So um, what I want to talk about is your, your origin story, right? Mm -hmm. So every hero we talk on the show has an origin story. It's where you started to realize that you were different, that maybe you had superpowers and maybe you could use them to help other people. <laughs> Right. So how did you, how did that happen for you? How did you go from being a happy high school teacher to someone who is like, you know, I, I have a blended family and I can help other people in this area. How did that happen? So a lot of it goes back to actually my childhood. My parents split up when I was in middle school and I remember when they told us about it, it was over, I believe it was over Christmas break uh, during my eighth grade year. And I remember in that moment sitting in my parents' den, which is now going to be mom's den because dad was going to move out. I remember thinking I just became a statistic. And I'm not really sure what that's going to look like moving forward. Fortunately, my parents were wonderful. They had a better divorce than a lot of marriages I've seen. 
They were entirely respectful of each other. There wasn't any arguing. There wasn't any fighting and yelling. Uh, we lived with mom, but dad came and picked us up every day for school. So we got to see him all the time. We actually still celebrated Christmas and, and Thanksgiving together. We would still do Thanksgiving at mom's house. Um, even about a year later when mom started dating uh, my stepdad, we would have mom, dad, stepdad, and then all the kids around the table together at Thanksgiving. And I didn't know that that was unusual until I graduated high school and started talking with other people whose parents had divorced and realized just how blessed that I'd been. Um, well, my goal was, so I got married for the first time when I was 19. I was so, uh, just finished my sophomore year of college. And I, my, my, my plan for life was to get married and have kids and never divorce and to have a wonderful marriage and a great family. And eight and a half years later, I was going through my own divorce with two kids. And um, what I fell back on was looking at the example that my parents had set, which was uh, to do the right thing even when it's hard. And again, looking at it from the standpoint of a father, like I looked at what my dad did and I just tried to imitate that. I tried to do what dad did and I tried to ask myself because my dad had, had passed away by the time I divorced. My question was, okay, if dad were in this situation, how would he handle it? And that was kind of my go-to for, for everything that I, um, that I tried to do going through the divorce. And since then, um, I remarried about five and a half years ago. My ex-wife remarried about six months before I did. And um, again, throughout that whole process, it was a question of what would dad have done? How would dad have handled this? And then also asking the question, okay, what would mom have done? How would she have handled this? Because she's still alive, um, but also got a lot of wisdom from her. And then in the last five years, I've looked around and just seen, one, that there are more and more blended families every day. And two, unfortunately, uh, the failure rate for those blended families is even higher than the regular divorce rate. And the people who are most negatively impacted by that are children. And so my question was, how can I help other families do things the way that my parents had done? Because I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say that I turned out perfect, but I would also say that my parents did everything they could to mitigate the negative effects of coming from a divorced home. And so the question is, how could I help other people also do that? How could I help other people get past their hurt so that they can relate to their ex more like a, a coworker, right? Because I've heard that analogy before. Like the thing is when you're in a, a co-parenting situation, you may still have a lot of hurt and resentment toward your ex. But if you are always acting from a place of hurt and resentment, the people that you're really damaging are your kids together. That's who you're really hurting. So maybe one way to reframe the way that you think about your co-parenting is not, God, I, have to, I still have to raise a kid with that parent, that kid, or, you know, that adult that I really hate. What you need to think of is, okay, that's a coworker. We have a common task. Our common task is raising these children together. And even if it's a coworker that you find maybe unpleasant in some way, you still have to find a way to coexist with them peacefully and productively. And uh, I found that analogy to be helpful both uh, to uh, you know myself, not because I don't get along with my ex-wife. We actually get along pretty well now, uh, but especially in looking at the way that my parents did things. And also, I found that to be helpful in other families where they, when they reframe how they think about it, that helps them to understand their roles differently. It helps them to be able to look at their children not as pawns to be used in a tug of war, but as uh, you know, beings to be cherished and to be uh, cultivated well together. Uh, and so, I found that to be uh, that to be a very helpful analogy. Absolutely, yeah. And I had a similar experience to yours growing up. My my parents divorced. I think I was beginning is like between my eighth and ninth grade year, so right into okay. high school. 
and same kind of thing. And I remember sitting in a little pink chair, and my parents telling me and thinking, "Oh man, we just became statistics." That's, yeah, that's so, exactly right. Like same plot. Um, yeah, but, you know, I was about the same age, and that was yep. the, uh, yep. the thought that that came through my head. And um, I I really lucked out in the parents' department. My parents are incredible; they still are. Mm-hmm. Um, and they handled the divorce um, very very well. And mm. Growing up, we did the whole, you know, one week at each parent's okay. house all through growing right. up. Um, so one week here, one week there. And yep. I didn't like it. Um, but, and my parents didn't like it. Nobody liked it. Right. But, um, but it was, uh, um, but they did, they did their best. And it was really, they were fantastic with each other. Um, and I even recall, um, I remember being, you know, upset at my mom as a teenager, which is a normal, you know, teenage <laughs> thing. Right. And venting to my dad about it. And my dad, you know, saying something that was uh, disrespectful to my mother. And my dad clocking me upside the head and being like, I don't care if she's not here. You respect your mom. That's exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and good on him for doing like, that. Yeah. And, and it's like, it doesn't matter what, you know, she did to me or whatever you think is, is going on. It's like, that's not your relationship. That's right. That's you will be respectful to your mother. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's, that's my relationship with her, not yours. Um, right. And, and which was a good lesson for me. Right. Um, yeah. And it's probably, that's probably one that wouldn't have made sense to a, a teenager necessarily. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, looking yeah. back, you're exactly right. That's a, that's a very powerful lesson for your dad to have shared. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it, it went really well. And like, you know, I still have, you know, we, we do the same thing. Like just, just this year, we're going down to we're going to go spend Thanksgiving with my dad and then Christmas mm-hmm. with, my mom, with my mom, with our kids. Um, but yeah, so I think, good. I think they did a, a great job with it. And when my, uh, when I brought my wife out to introduce them to my family, she came from mm-hmm. a home that was not, um, was not divorced and having any of those problems. And she met my family on both sides and on the plane flight back home, right before we got married, she tells me, she's like, your family's fantastic. Like, how, <laughs> like, I can't, I can't believe how, how like well put together they are. They're like, Good. they're better put together than my family is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, praise the Lord for that. Cause again, that's not usual and uh, it's very encouraging. I'm really glad to hear that story because that's not what I normally hear. Normally I hear people who talk about how ugly their parents' divorce was or how their parents just bad each other or use the kids as pawns in order to try to get back at their ex for whatever it may have been. And, um, and again, I, I really, um, those things, those stories break my heart because the people yeah. who are suffering the most are the kids. And I understand it because uh, there's a guy that I know named John Finch. He works, uh, he's in charge of something called the Encouraging Dads Project, which I encourage a lot of people to check out like if you that. haven't. Um, but he, he's got a great uh, quote that he uses where he says, hurt people, hurt people. You know, hurting people hurt other people. Yeah. And unfortunately, a lot of people in a blended family are still hurting. And as a result of that, they, whether on purpose or not, they, they hurt others. And a lot of times it's the kids who are most hurt by that. And that's something that, again, that I really want to try to mitigate uh, and try to help people overcome. So, uh, I, again, I'm, I'm very encouraged to hear your story. That's, uh, uh, that's a very positive thing I don't get to actually run across a lot. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah, that's awesome. I, tell, I tell people all the time I hit the, I hit the parenting jackpot. My parents yeah. are wonderful. They encouraged me all the way through my life and even you know they're they're both employees and come from the employee mindset and Mm -hmm. while they did struggle with my desire to be an entrepreneur um (laughs) and still regularly like i don't you know early on they were like i don't understand why you want to do this or why you're making decisions you're making and i don't think it's right you know 10 15 years later after seeing all the stuff i've done they're still like you know i don't have a clue what you do but i'm proud of you (laughs) that's exactly right yeah (laughs) 
Yeah. And that's, that's a world that I'm still learning. I've been in for a couple of years now as an entrepreneur and it's different than anything I ever envisioned for myself. I was, com I was completely happy being uh, an employee. I was totally okay getting a paycheck and teaching my classes and I still love doing those things. Um, but the more and more I've learned about the world of entrepreneurship, the more attractive I find it. It's still terrifying and I, I still feel very much like a novice in some ways um, or a dilettante, but I very much am enjoying what I'm learning. And I, I, um, I think I'm probably farther along than I give myself credit for. Um, yeah. You know, but it's really a lot of fun to be uh, to be learning to think a very different way than I ever had. Yeah, I think from from a parenting perspective, the problem that you know, my family ran into with me is that as an employee, you have a different like risk profile than mm -hmm. an entrepreneur does. Absolutely. Um, and and so I'm willing to take a lot greater risks than my right. parents are comfortable taking themselves or Fair. are comfortable with me taking for my family. That's right. Um, <laughs> and so like it, I could see the struggle with raising someone who is, was a born entrepreneur. Like I started my first business at 13, right? Wow. Okay. <laughs> you know, I was, I, I conned my dad into giving me a loan for money so I could go and buy candy wholesale at the big box store and sell it nice. to friends retail at school. Right. Nice. And, Right. So I, I start, they started young with me with, with dealing with like, what are you, what are you doing? Right. <laughs> um, right. And, and uh, anyways, it was, um, I think they did a fairly good job handling someone like me and despite having a blended family and all those things um, right. and not ever, um, what would you say? Like discouraging. Yeah. Just squashing the kids dreams. Oh, like yeah. if, if this is what you want to do. Like, awesome. Do that. Even though we have no idea how you're going to, and we're not necessarily a big fan, but if that's what, that's what you're feeling yeah. called to do then good yeah. luck to you and, uh, and my they were they definitely were on the on the train of like here's my reservations and <laughs> here's why i think you're gonna go wrong and <laughs> you'll feel free to prove me wrong but right yeah yeah um, yeah and that's good yeah, and as you know as a parent sometimes that's what we have to say is based on everything i know and based on my worldview here's what i here's what i see happening but i would love to be wrong i'd love for you to prove me incorrect and you do great things because i say that to my high school students sometimes you know, certain kids have bad habits. They're, they're not fulfilling their potential. And I've told some of them, listen, if you keep doing this, here's where you're going to end up failing this class. Then you're going to have to be here at summer school. And then, you know, I said, I know I'd love for you to prove me wrong, but based on what I've seen in my classroom so far, here's what, here's what the next six months of your life looks like, you know, and some of them will, they'll follow that. And then other times they'll completely prove me wrong. You know, and that's great because, when, again, when, when you see the potential for someone to do great things, but you see their habits are taking them somewhere else, it's wonderful for them to prove the, the habits that you saw originally. It's wonderful to see them prove that wrong and instead see them succeed where that's not what the early signs would have pointed toward. You know what I mean? Like yeah, that's, a, that's a really encouraging thing. Yeah. And. Um, you know, when it comes to the whole entrepreneurship game, and I'm sure you're figuring out, you know, you, you trade in some of that risk profile for, for a healthy dose of freedom that is not, mm -hmm. uh, not available on the employee side, which is uh, yeah. the reason I was doing it. So, right. Yeah. I, you know, I think I live, uh, this is very nice. I have sort of one foot in both worlds because uh, I'm a high school teacher, but I have a very understanding administrator. Uh, my first few years teaching at this school, like I just never took days off. Uh, and so I built up a decent amount of personal days and sick days and those kinds of things. And so when I go and do, when I have speaking opportunities, 
I don't ever get any negative feedback about taking a day off to go and speak. So I like I was gone last Thursday to go speak at a leadership event a couple hours from my house and uh, in Huntsville at the Space and Rocket Center. Uh, there's a big youth conference there with 80 kids from all over the Southeast. And my administrator was like, yes, go have a great time. I know you spoke there last year and you said it was awesome. So go and have a great time and do, do a good you, job. How do your students handle you hopping out to go speak and, and be entrepreneurial? Do they, you get a lot of questions and stuff about that? Um, I do get some. Yeah, I get, uh, it's really interesting just in the past year or two, I've gotten a lot of kids who will actually listen to things like this. They'll start listening to the podcast interview because I'll go into school tomorrow morning and I'll say something in one of my classes about, yeah, I had a podcast interview yesterday. It'll probably come out, you know, whenever it comes out and uh, oh yeah, I listened to one you did with this guy a while back. And I, so I have to be careful what stories I tell from my classroom. Um, cause I don't, I don't want kids to hear a story and go, Hey, he was talking about me, you know? Um, but no, it's, it is, I, I do. I get some questions about it. I get some people that ask me why I like it or what my goals are or, um, you know, just what about it appeals to me. Uh, because I, I'm one of those people that loves being on stage. I love to be able to help people. And that's part of why I became a teacher is I like to make an impact on people's lives. Well, I can do the same thing as an entrepreneur, whether it's from the stage or in a workshop uh, or in, you know, individual coaching or whatever it may be, like the desire to help people is still there. That That's kind of the core of what I do is I, I just want to help people. Uh, and so there are a lot of different avenues for being able to do that. And I feel very blessed to get to do things that I love. And as a bonus, people pay me for that. <laughs> that's And that's pretty awesome. Yeah, that is incredibly awesome. And, you know, one of the things we say in the entrepreneur community frequently is that teaching sells, meaning that, uh, that it's one of the, uh, one of the best skills you can have is mm -hmm. to know how to teach other people. So coming from the teaching world is probably a, <laughs> a really useful skill set. It is. It's a lot of fun. It's, you know, it's also great. I shared this, uh, again, I was speaking to high school kids last week and I told them, I said, they were, you know, they were a great audience. They were participating. They were paying attention. They were engaged. They were answering questions. And, uh, because I don't, you know, I don't stand up and just lecture for 45 minutes in the classroom. I definitely don't do that from the stage. I like to have a lot of audience interaction and participation, both in the classroom and, and at speaking things. And this group, they were wonderful. Like I said, they were, they were laughing at the jokes. They were answering the questions. They were participating in the different parts of it. And um, I told them, I said, I, I love coming to groups like this because you chose to be here. And they kind of looked at me. I said, here's the thing. There is no tougher audience in the world than a group of jaded 15-year-olds at 8 o'clock on a rainy Monday morning. Like yeah. that is the hardiest, that is the hardest audience in the world to get interested in what I'm talking about, which at the time is U.S. history. You know what I mean? So I feel like if I can get a group of, of tired, um, you know, feeling like they're overburdened 15 year olds interested in the Monroe Doctrine at 815 on a Monday, I, that if you put me in front of a, an audience that wants to be there already, man, that's already 90% done. Like they chose to come there. Like this is easy right here. Like this is great. So uh, man. Uh, for whatever reason, that brings me right back to high school. I was the uh, <laughs> the uh, the weird kid that it was like, you mean I can start? They had early start classes. I could start okay. class at six thirty and be done at ten. <laughs> I was like, I was yep. all over that. Yeah. And so I was, I was uh, at school at six thirty in the morning every day, nice. done at ten o'clock, and you know was able to get into business stuff and started yep. a um, got a job and a car and you know I was. <laughs> working full-time by an 11th grade 11th nice. grade and top of keeping my grades up and yep you know, starting things over I was I don't know I was a, uh, I I was crazy 
Yeah, but I think that's great because, again, it shows what's possible if you're willing to do things differently, which I think is a key part of being an entrepreneur is just thinking differently than most people do. I know um, I'm sure a lot of people that listen to your show are familiar with the book Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki, but that's one of the big things he talks about is just you have to get over the employee mindset like you and I were talking about earlier. You just you have to be willing to think in a different way about risk and about uh, getting a paycheck versus creating an income. And, um, and you know, what you just mentioned, that's, again, it's a great example of thinking differently and getting different results. Cause I'm sure a lot of, a lot of kids your age were just going to class like normal and maybe they'd work an after school job and maybe they made a little bit of money. And if they, you know, if their parents were nice and bought them a car or if they saved up enough money over the course of a few summers, they bought a car or whatever it may have been, but that's kind of the normal way of doing things. And it works out okay for a lot of people. But if you really want to make a difference, if you really want to do something bold, you've got to think boldly. You've got to think differently. And, uh, and that's something, again, I'm learning as an entrepreneur now, just like you mentioned, like I've got I've to be willing to take risks that I probably wouldn't have been willing to take five years ago. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and being and, willing and, to do that is entertaining. It's scary, but it's entertaining. Thing about about that is one of the risks, you know, j- just to bring up the whole point is like we had the opportunity to take early classes, so I did. Mm-hmm. Right, it's it's a risk socially, right? There's social right. risks. Absolutely, and that's one of the biggest things that comes, you know, from a teenager or even as you know yes. making that transition from an employee to an entrepreneur is the social risks. My yeah, parents absolutely. Don't my right. friends don't approve. My family thinks I'm strange, right? right. That's a, it, the, the social risks that come with being an entrepreneur because it's not a huge section of our population right. um, are, they're a big thing to deal with. Um, yep. And, you know, to, to your point, the, uh, um, the reason I got into that whole thing is actually because of the Robert Kiyosaki book when I was uh, nice. about nine and a half, 10 years old, my dad's friend had given him a copy of the book. Uh-huh. And I don't even know if he read it, but he was like, this looks like the kind of thing my son would like. So he gave it to me. Nice. Um, at that's you know, awesome. nine and a half years old, and I was addicted, and uh, mm. I convinced my parents because um, I was a well-behaved kid to instead of <laughs> dropping me off at after-school care, to drop me off at Barnes and Noble instead. Nice. Um, pick me up after work, and I used to spend my afternoons all the way through, you know, later elementary and middle school at mm-hmm. Barnes and Noble, reading all the books I couldn't afford to buy. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Yeah, and that's a great place to do it. It's yeah, a great place so, to do um, it. I'd pile them all up and sit in their little chairs and read yep. books until mom came and got me from after school. <laughs> yeah, and again, that, but what you're describing is worlds different than what most kids are willing to do. And therefore, yeah. your results now are worlds different than what a lot of people end up with. And again, I, I think that's great. I think that's really, uh, I think that's very powerful. And that's, you know, that's what I try to do with blended families because the usual part of blended families, when you look at people who are divorced and remarried, most people who go through divorce have no problem being um, angry at their ex. They have no problem acting out of hurt, you know, and they have no problem bad mouthing their ex. And the problem with that is like, of course that's usual. That's because it's easy. So what I want to challenge people to do is be willing to think differently about what your divorce has to look like. Be willing to think differently about what your blended family could look like. Like if you're angry all the time because your blended family is just hard and it hurts and because you and your ex can't get along, then you need to do something different. I mean, everybody knows Einstein's definition of insanity, right? You do the same thing over and over and you expect different results. Well, yeah, no, that is insanity. 
So if you want yeah. different results, you have to take different actions and that starts with thinking differently. So one of the big things I try to get people to do is to understand that when you start changing the way you think about the possibilities, now you can actually see how things could go differently moving forward. Right, so if you wanna have a better blended family, you have to be willing to, at least temporarily, you have to be willing to think differently about your ex. And what I mean by that is you have to be willing to give them the benefit of the doubt sometimes. Even if you know they're probably gonna take advantage of you at some point, you've gotta be willing to just allow that to pass, at, again, at least temporarily. You've gotta be willing to, whether you use this, you know, the phrase, you get the short end of the stick or whatever it may be, like you have to be willing to just suck it up sometimes so that you can start rebuilding a foundation from which to move forward. Um, yeah. The, uh, the, go ahead. To, to draw a parallel to that in the entrepreneurial world, one of the things that um, I regularly tell my clients and students and stuff is that, uh, that sometimes you just have to be willing to eat dirt. Yeah. Right. Like, like you, when you're getting your business started, or you're running things off the ground, you have, you have to build the skill set. You have to do the thing. Yeah. Right? And it's, you know, you don't start off immediately with a trillion dollar valuation with a, you know, a billion, <laughs> billion devices all over the world. Right. Like right. it took Apple 40 years to get there Yep. Uh, and almost going under in the nineties and stuff like yep. that, like to build a, build a business. Sometimes you just have to eat dirt and I, you know, to build a, a good, strong, solid family. Sometimes you yeah. just have to do the hard thing. You do. That's exactly right. Um, you you got to be willing to put up with some of the some of the crap of it. And uh, and you're exactly right. That's a huge part of it. But the goal is to keep looking forward, keep moving forward and keep believing that it can get better. Because if you're just convinced your blended family is always going to be painful, if you're convinced your ex is always going to be a jerk and so you treat them badly. Yeah, they're probably always going to be a jerk back to you. I'm not saying it's your fault, but you're also not helping. Right. Yeah. And, and so I gave, actually gave my blended family presentation at a local Kiwanis club about a month and a half ago. <laughs> and I, you know, I tell people, I said, there are some hard truths when I share with blended families and I tell them, listen, you're going to have to do things that you don't want to. You're going to have to do things that make you uncomfortable. You're going to have to do things that are probably going to make you angry. And you're going to have to do things not acting out of that anger. And I got done with my presentation. A lady in the crowd raised her hand. She said, um, yeah, I just got one question. I said, sure. What's up? And she said, um, how do you, not get punched in the face when you, when you tell people stuff like that. And I said, well, the thing is, and it's a fair question. I said, um, you've got to be willing to start with empathy because she's exactly right. If I, if I go talk with someone who's in a blended family uh, situation that's hard and hurting and I say to them, well, listen, you're just doing it wrong. Here's what you need to do. They probably are going to hit me in the face and I would deserve that because what a jerk thing to do. Who am I to come in and tell you you're running your life wrong? You know what I mean? That's totally fair. Instead, what I want to do is start with empathy. I want to come alongside you and say, listen, I understand that you're hurting. I understand that your ex wronged you or that you wronged your ex or both. I understand that it's not how you want it to be. That's totally fair for you to feel that way. I understand because I've been there. What I'm asking you to do is consider what, what would you like it to look like? And then ask the question, okay, how do we get there? Because when you reframe it, it helps people look at it differently and then maybe they're willing to do at least a little bit of the work. The, the, the analogy that I use, and this is again, as a, a history nerd, um, is, uh, it's from uh, medieval architecture. Uh, it's called a coffer dam. Uh, and so a coffer dam is what you would use to build the stone columns for a bridge across a moving river. 
right? And so the way that you would do that is you would uh, cut down a bunch of planks and you would go out into the middle of the river in a boat and you would drive these planks into the riverbed, all the way down into the riverbed in a kind of a circle shape, right? And then you do the same thing in a slightly bigger circle outside the first one, okay? And so then what you do is you bucket the water out and you fill in the cracks with some kind of mortar or, or whatever so that you have a watertight seal. So now you've got kind of an inverted cone over the surface of the water and it's empty. And so now you can start putting in rocks and things like that on solid ground on the riverbed. But it takes a long time to cut down the trees and to build the coffer dam and to bucket the water out. But until you do that, you're not ever going to be able to build a solid foundation for your bridge. Once you yeah. do that, then you can build a good stone column. You can use your you know, you can build that bridge across it. But until you put in the hard work at the beginning, doing stuff that's uncomfortable and painful, until you do that, you're not ever going to be able to move forward. You're just, you're just you're just going to keep dropping rocks on the bottom of the river. It's not actually doing you any good, right? That's and a, so that's a good metaphor for that too. Yeah, thanks. I actually I came across it in a, a giant fat um, historical novel that I read one time, and I thought it was just really fascinating. So, uh, but I do I love that because again, I always wondered how do you build bridges across these big old rivers? Like, how did you how do you do that? And the answer is you don't. You build it on dry ground. So you create the dry ground in the middle of a river, right? And that's how you start building. I thought, well, that is pretty cool. That is pretty cool. Um, and that's what I want to help blended families do is, okay, so how do we start driving these, these big old, you know, tree trunks down into the riverbed? And once we have that done, how do we, how do we start bailing the water out? And then we can start piling the rocks on so that we got a firm foundation to start building our bridge. It's going to take time. It's going to take effort, actually, but it can be one done. Of the, one of the things that uh, I teach and uh, we do, I do a lot with uh, um, how to give persuasive presentations. Mm, okay. Um, and so I teach my, my clients how to do that. Um, right. So we use sales presentations like webinars or master classes or other things or stage mm -hmm. talks where you get on the stage and then at the end you would sell something. Awesome. Um, and um, one of the primary problems that a lot of speakers run into is like, I have like, the, the thing is, is people are doing things wrong and if they change the way they were doing them, then they would, they would get better results. But how do you right. present that in a way yeah. that someone doesn't, you know, they don't get punched in the face. That's right? exactly right. Which is a fair question. And, yeah. <laughs> which is a fair question. Cause you can't just get up on stage and be like, okay, listen, I know you want to get into the space of, you know, whatever it is. Right. The thing you're doing it wrong. You immediately put everyone <laughs> into defense mode, right? right. So right. the way that the way that we approach it is, I have a I have a little um, uh, a process we run through, but it's basically it's a, it's identifying the existing system that people are doing, and mm -hmm. this may or may not be useful for for your training stuff. But we identify mm -hmm. the existing system, right? So okay. the existing system of like how are you? How do most people approach a blended family? They right. do these things. They're terrible yeah. to each other, blah, blah, blah. And right. what you're looking to get going in the uh, audience's head is that chain of yeses. Right? right. Yep. I get that. Yeah. I've seen that. Yes, I get it. Yep. Right. And so they're sitting there going, yep, I see that. Like I yeah. see that in my own life. I see how that happens in other people's lives. Whatever. You're just explaining. Here's how most people do it. And then we start getting into identifying the fail failure points of that system. Right. Like where are the, where are the, where is this breaking down for people? Mm -hmm. Right, um, where it's not working now, it's not working because of technology or whatever. What are the failure points for whatever the existing system is? Um, and then we want to ask a provocative question. Right, right. the prov provocative question is a why is it not working, mm -hmm. and what if we changed something? Right, what if we did right. it this way instead? Yeah, what if we yep. changed something? And my my favorite example for for that is you know what if we had a, a school for uh, for witchcraft and wizardry, then you'd make the first billion dollar author. Nice, right. 
<laughs> nice. <laughs> what if is a powerful question. Yes. And well, what if we change something? And then what I tell my students, my clients to do is to get up and say essentially almost exactly this. I have a theory about how we can fix the broken system. Why don't you check it out with me and see if you agree? Right? Nice. And okay. You're, you're inviting them to experience something mm. different instead of telling right. them they're wrong and they should do it differently. <laughs> yeah. No, I think that's exactly right. It's interesting because I, I do something similar in a very different context. Uh, what, again, I mentioned I'm a soccer coach. And um, it's funny because after, after a game that I coached a couple weeks ago, I had a referee come up to me after the game. And he said, listen, I was talking with the other referee crew, uh, the other guys on the referee crew, and we were just amazed at the way that you coach your team. And I said, oh, thank you. Um, I think, what, what do you mean? And he said, well, you know, when, whenever they, when they do something they're not supposed to, when they do something incorrectly, you don't yell at them, why did you do that or do it this way? You said, okay, that was pretty good, but what if you did this next time instead, right? And it's the same kind of thing where you saw the breakdown because on a soccer field, it's easy to see where the breakdown was, right? You dribble when you should have passed or you made the wrong pass or you made the pass at the wrong angle or whatever it is. But instead of saying, no, do it this way, you say to them, okay, I see what you were trying to do. But instead, next time, let's try to do it this way, and then let's, let's test that and see if that does a little bit better. Because yeah, it's, a, it's a much more positive – yeah, it's a positive persuasion technique. Um, but it also – yeah, it's very results-oriented. I saw what you were trying to do, but we all know that you didn't get what you wanted out of that. That's not what you were going for. So instead, let's try to just change it a little bit and see if we get better results doing it this other way. Um, and I think you're right. I think that's a very powerful way of getting people to – um, instead of, like you said, instead of just calling them out and going, that was dumb. Why would you do it that way? <laughs> Which doesn't go well, but I, I will admit I do that with my freshmen sometimes because high school freshmen deserve it. Um, but, exactly. uh, you know, <laughs> right. Uh, but no, in general, it is, it's much more powerful to say to someone, I see what you were trying to do, or I understand why you did what you did. But what if we tried doing it this other way? Let's try that and see if it works out better. Because, again, you're inviting them to, like you mentioned, come along with you and see if it works differently instead of just calling them out and saying, don't do it that way. That's entirely wrong. And immediately getting people defensive and not wanting to listen and, and getting immediate pushback because they want to prove you wrong. You've called them wrong, so they want to prove that you're wrong. And yeah, so then they resist the, uh, even more. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure why, but your, your comment about freshmen just reminded me of a thing my <laughs> wife told me the other day oh, that, no. uh, that, that once you uh, – once you know you've gotten old uh -huh. when you start agreeing with all the parents in Disney movies. Dude. Yep. Yeah, look, <laughs> I'm telling you, like, story of my life. You're like, it's like, Daddy, I'm an adult. And you're like, shut up, you're 16. That's exactly right. You don't know what you're talking about. You can barely <laughs> drive. Yeah, yeah. It's like, shut up. You're, you're doing it wrong. And yeah. Anyways, you're like, you're yep. like, yep, I've officially made it. I'm, I'm old. That's um, right. I That's hilarious. All the, parents, all the Disney movies. <laughs> yes. Well, it's funny. When my girls were little, I hated The Little Mermaid. Hated that movie. And, they, you know, my, my daughters would be like, but dad, it's so good. I'm like, no, it's not. It's a movie about a girl ignoring her father, disobeying everything he's ever said. And, oh, look, it turns out fine in the end because it was for a boy. Are you kidding me? That's the message we want to teach our daughters? Absolutely not. So at one point we moved houses and I accidentally on purpose lost our copy of Little Mermaid and never bought another one. Oh, darn. Yeah, I know. It's, oh, oh. Yeah. And it sounds kind of goofy, but I, it's exactly right. Your wife's right. Like that. It's, a, it's one, of the, one of those moments where I knew I was getting old. 
where it's like, I just, I cannot even tolerate that movie because the message behind it is so against everything that I have to say as a parent. Yeah. Yeah. I get it. We just let them listen to the soundtrack. The soundtrack. There great. you go. Well, and that's the thing is my, my wife loves Disney movies. She sings like a Disney princess and she loves to sing some of those movies. So, and now that my girls are older, it's funny because they will watch those movies and I, I don't know if this is good or bad, but they can watch the movies and, and see it from my perspective. Oh yeah, yeah. dad. Okay. I understand why that uh, Ariel, that was a stupid decision. I'm not sure what you were thinking right there. <laughs> like giving up <laughs> your greatest talent for some boy that doesn't really know you exist. Probably not what we want to do as teenage girls. Probably okay, not. Good. I'm glad you can see that sweetheart. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I, I think we may have almost covered this a little bit if people were paying attention, and I think it probably stands out, but what would you say your superpower is that you bring to the table when it comes to working with blended families? Uh, I bring the wisdom of a lot of mistakes. Um, <laughs> I actually tell my students my superpower, not in business, but my superpower in general is the ability to unintentionally anger women of all ages. Um, wow, that's a good yeah. one. It's really good. Um, before my, my, my wife and I got married, we were standing outside our house one day and uh, as we were dating and my ex-wife was coming to pick up the kids because it was switchover time. And as she came to pick up the kids, we're just talking a little bit. And the conversation uh, went in such a way that for about 10 minutes, I'm standing outside my ex-wife's car in front of my girlfriend, reminiscing with my ex-wife about movies we used to watch to fall asleep together in bed. Oh, nice. And yeah. And, and, and so then she left and I turned around and, and looked at my girlfriend who is now my wife and she did not look happy and I didn't understand why. And she went stomping up the front steps of my house. And, and I thought, that's not like her. She's normally, she's normally not stompy. And, and as she's walking in the house, I said, did I do something wrong? And she turns around and she goes, Oh, you think? And I'm like, I do. Yes. I think I did something wrong. And we came inside and I said, I'm um, gonna need your help. That's it. I said, okay. So I, I'm, I'm trying to understand this. I think you're upset, but I don't know why. Could you explain this to me, please? And she just looked at me. I mean, her jaw dropped, not in a good way. And she looked at me. She went, "There's no way you are that dumb." And I said, "Oh no, I am." And I told you this before we started dating because the same thing had happened. <laughs> Not that same, but like when I was married the first time, I told my I told my first wife, I said, "Look, I'm pretty intelligent, but when it comes to anything female, like I'm an idiot. I need you to I need you to talk, you know, treat me like I've got a third grader's kind of brain power when you're talking about what I've done boneheaded." And so I told that story to my girlfriend after my divorce. I'm telling her this. And I said, "So here's what just happened. Like I don't understand why you're angry, but I'd love to know so I don't do that again." And she went, "Wow, you really don't get it." No, ma'am, I do not. And she explained to me why it might be hurtful for me to reminisce with someone in front of the person that I'm currently involved with. And when she explained it, I thought, oh, yeah, oh, ooh, oh, wow, I'm really sorry. I get that now, right? But I didn't get it before then. And it's really just because I don't, I don't know if it's because I'm, I'm really that dense or lacked empathy or that self-centered, whatever it was. When she explained it to me, I got it. And so for me, like when I work with blended families, sometimes I have to really ask them a lot of questions to help them understand, okay, here's what you're doing and here's what you think about it. But look at it from someone else's perspective and see how it's affecting them, whether that's looking at it from your kid's perspective or looking at it from the perspective of your ex and their new partner. 
how is this coming across to them? And again, if, if I approach it wrong, I may get punched in the face. But if I approach it correctly, sometimes it really opens their eyes and they say, oh, I get that now, right? So yeah. my, my superpower there is, again, it, it's the wisdom of a lot of mistakes. It's the, um, the experience of being in a blended family, both as a kid and as an adult, and the ability to empathize with people because I've had to learn how to from accidentally hurting people. Um, I, I've, I spent years accidentally being extra harsh with my daughters. I didn't realize that raising girls was different than raising boys. I'd never raised a boy. I've never raised a boy even now. I've, I've taught them. I've coached them. And I try to treat my daughters like the boys that I've taught and coached. And you cannot do that. And I didn't know oh. that for years. I didn't know my daughters. My, so my ex-wife would use the expression. She would say they have tissue paper hearts. They're that gentle. They're that fragile. And I never understood that um, until, honestly, uh, until it was almost too late. So like even now, my older daughter and I, uh, we struggle. Um, she's actually spending a lot more time living with her mom right now because of a lot of hurt that I caused her growing up because I was really, uh, I was harsh with her and I didn't realize I was being harsh or I didn't mean to be that kind of harsh. Um, but I, now I, I'm seeing the results of it. And so I've tried to treat my younger daughter differently. And that's good because my younger daughter and I, we get along great. But my older daughter and I are struggling. And part of the reason is because of how harsh I was with her. Well, I should have known better because I saw that happen with my dad and my older brother. My dad was retired military and he was raising my older brother like a raw recruit. And my older brother was not a raw recruit. He was a little kid. And that, that caused a lot of friction. My, my brother and my dad didn't get along until my dad was diagnosed with cancer. And they finally were able to reconcile before dad passed away for about a year and a half. They got along really well, but they had, they had already spent 30 years not getting along. And that was really, I should have learned more from that than I did. And so now again, I can look at what happened with them. I can look at what I'm struggling with, with my daughter, and I can go to other people and I can say, Hey, listen, I can tell you where you don't want to be because I've been there. I can tell you what you don't want to do because I've done that. And so let me help you figure out how to not struggle in this way. So that's, that's kind of what I, that's a lot of what I bring to the table in terms of blended families. Yeah. Yeah. And it's definitely, um, it's, it's an interesting thing because um, there's, you have, you have a lot of differences, like the differences between like, just as a, as a gentleman, how you think versus how a woman thinks. Yep. And, and when you're raising kids, you know, yeah. you have, the way that they think, the way that they feel, the way I perceive the world is both different depending on their gender and their age. And yep. like, yep. and some of that stuff you just don't get until you've been through it. Right? Yeah. And, until, um, and for know, me, it wasn't until I'd screwed up a couple times, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, one of the things that like I've, my wife and I talk about this all the time that, you know, as men, we tend to have like, we have the box that we're in, you know, we, mm -hmm. we like our brain, you like you pull out the box and I'm in this box right now, you know, right. thing with my, 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 my ex-wife and like, everything else is not in the box. Right. So you're not, it's not like connected, but like, right. The and I can't see, I can't see how that's right. I can't see how what I'm doing in my box is bothering you right over there. Over there. Until, yeah. until someone like comes over and puts that bother in your box and you're like, Oh, now I get it. And that's, and yes. <laughs> that's a great way to describe. I love that expression. Puts the bother in your box. It, I may steal that actually. That's really good. Yeah. Yeah. Someone puts the bother in your box for you and you're like, Oh, now that it's in the box, you're like, now I see it. <laughs> yeah, I don't like that at all. Why would you put that there? <laughs> you know, why would you put that in the box? That's right. Um, but yeah, that's just it's the way that we, we don't we don't always make those connections unless we've right. already made those connections. 
right? And so you have two different ways you can learn those things. One is you mm-hmm. can learn them from your own experience, or you can learn them from someone else's experience. Right. And, yeah. Right. I tell my kids all the time the best the best teacher's experience and the best experience is someone else's. Yes, so like, that's good you, too. Yeah. If you if you watch your older brother burn his hand on the pot, like learn from him that it's hot instead of having to touch it yourself. Yes. Right? Yeah, I, I used a very similar example in my uh, my book I wrote a couple years ago. Uh, there's a quote from J.R.R. Tolkien in Lord of the Rings where he says, the burned hand teaches best. Advice about After that, advice about fire goes to the heart. But it doesn't have to be your hand, and which is what, exactly yeah. what you said, you know. Um, and I think that's exactly right. Like, you can learn from other people's experience, and if you do, you might save yourself a whole lot of trouble. And, yeah, and that's yeah, one of the things and, that I try and, to share with people. One of the things that has driven me nuts as a parent, and I'm sure it has for you as well, is sometimes despite giving your children that message over and over again, they still have to touch the pot themselves. Yes. And as yeah. a parent, sometimes you just have to let them touch the pot. Right? Yeah, and I find, I've found as a parent that's something I severely struggle with is letting kids just touch the pot. My, my uh, father-in-law actually described it as letting them walk off the pier. Uh, yeah. Because, you know, you can you can hold your kid's hand and you can walk them out on the pier and you can tell them stay away from the edge. But at some point, if they want to jump off the edge, like you got to let go and let them and let them walk off the pier because that's what they're going to do. They're either going to do it with you there watching where you can help them then get back out or they're going to wait until they're not where you're watching and then they're going to do it. But at some point, yeah. if they want to walk off the pier badly enough, they're going to. And yeah, that's, that's something actually... that that's been really hard for me to accept as a parent. That's one of the uh, one of the principles we've tied into our parenting um, mm. for like just as an example. When you have toddlers who are interested in things like you know the sharp knives and the knife block. Yep. Right. Your your typical response to that is you can't touch the knives. That's right. You're not allowed no, to no, touch no. the knives. Yeah. Um, put things on the knives, hide the knives, make everything in your life more difficult. Um, right. Yeah. And then the moment that your eyes are turned or something's not going the way that you want, they're going to find a way to, you know, stack things up and climb on there and get sharp knives and then hurt themselves. Yeah. Right. Because yep. that's the way that goes. You've just made it more curios- curiosity for them. And mm-hmm. what my wife and I decided to do, and we do this all the time in lots of different situations, and it's surprising how often it works, um, like most of the time, is uh, – <laughs> we show them the appropriate context for those tools for the things that they want to play with. So like mm-hmm. my son at three years old is like, I want to play with the knives. And I was like, you can't play with the knives now, but you, how about this tonight when we cook dinner, you can help mommy cut the vegetables. Nice. Right? Takes away so the now, curiosity. Yeah. So, so now he gets nice. the mom is holding his hand. He's cutting the vegetables with the, uh, with the knife and he knows the context for the knife. He gets to play with the knife, you know, play quote unquote. Right. right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, mom's holding his hand. He's chopping the vegetables. He gets to help. And now he doesn't have the curiosity about the knives anymore. So the next yeah. time he wants to play with the knives, the question is not, can I sneak in and play with the knives? The question right. is, mom, can I help you cook dinner tonight? That's right. Is there something I can chop up with a knife while you help me? Yeah. 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 Oh, that's some, great. I want, I want to chop things. Can you, you right. know, and he's got it. He's got a context for it. Yeah. Um, and so we, we try to apply that kind of, that kind of thinking mm-hmm. for our kids all the time. But yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's wonderful. I think that's a, um, I think that's a very powerful uh, redirecting method that is good for people to learn again, especially as parents of young kids or step parents of young kids um, because it's um, it's easy to just say no, 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 no. But eventually you're either going to, like you said, you're going to have your back turned and they're going to do it anyway, or you're going to do like I did, which was just to blow up at my kids and be like, absolutely not, you know, and just scare them into not doing it. But what kind of long-term damage is that going to do? Whereas like what you just mentioned, that kind of approach where you go, yes, we can use the knives, but only in this context, 
But when, if you want to, absolutely, we'll do that. And that way you take away the curiosity, you teach them the proper way to use it, you drastically lower the chances that they're going to try to go do it behind your back. I think those are all very, very good things for, um, you know, again, parents or step parents of young kids. That's a yeah. great way to, to think about and, that. And what's fun is my kid's 10 now and he's quite the little chef. I believe right? it. That's and, right. Yeah. And he, he, he'll cook a whole meal for you if you ask him mm -hmm. to. And he can do it unsupervised at this point, yep. which is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, and, that's excellent. Yeah. So, which is really cool.